We've just read something fascinating. Could you imagine, after almost 40 years of a trek in the Midbar, and you're going in the desert, and there's one challenge after the next. At first, obviously you could imagine in the Midbar without water, but then they had the bare mayim. They had the bare air of the Miriam. And then, of course, to worry about where we're we going to have food. Bishut Moshe Rabbeinu, they had the man. How are we going to survive the heat in the Midbar? Bishut Aharon, they had the Ananeha Kavod. But it was one challenge after the next challenge after the next challenge. For almost 40 years. What keeps them going? Well, they have their eye on the destination. They have their eye on the promised land. They have their eye on Eretz Yisrael. And then finally, they make it only steps before the entering of Eretz Yisrael. And two and a half tribes walk up to Moshe Rabbeinu and say, Moshe, we want to stay here. We'd rather stay on this side of the Transjordan. We want to, we want to have, we have a tremendous amount of flock. Miknerav, we have a lot of cattle. This is a perfect land for pasture. And because we have so much cattle and we have so much flock, you know what? We're going to stay on this side of the Jordan. We're not going to enter Israel. This is incredible. You think about this for a moment. You came this far. You were trekking for 39 years. You finally got to the door of Eretz Yisrael. Now you're going to turn around and stop? What were these tribes thinking? And if it's really about the cattle, why don't you enter Eretz Yisrael and take a look at the land. See if maybe there's better pasture in Eretz Yisrael. And maybe there you'll have an opportunity to be able to carry your cattle and your sheep. Why suddenly are you so fast to stop right here? Ladies, I want to reveal to you something that I read recently that was revealed by Reb Chaim Vital in the name of his great Rebbe, the Arizal HaKadosh. And this to me, I'll be honest with you, was something of such an eye-opener. I could not believe this unbelievable perush until I came past this myself. This to me was something. I'd like to share it with you today. Says the great Reb Chaim Vital in the name of his Rebbe, the Arizal HaKadosh. He says, in truth, these two and a half tribes, Reuven, Gad, and Chatzim Menashe, they were not going to be allowed to enter Israel regardless. And if not for this moment of them turning to Moshe Rabbeinu and saying, Moshe, Miknerav, we have so much sheep, we have so much cattle, let us stay here. If they would have came up to the line of the entrance of Israel on its border, Moshe Rabbeinu or Yehoshua would have stopped them by the door and would have told them, gentlemen, Shevet Reuven, God, Chatzim you cannot come into the land of Israel. Really? Why is that? What was wrong with these two and a half tribes? How come they didn't merit the Chelek in Eretz Yisrael? Says Reb Chaim Vital, the name of his Rebbe, the great Arizal HaKadosh. There's an incredible message here. There's a message that's going to teach us the power of beginnings. And how powerful the root of every human being and every Jew really carries us. And there's going to be another message here that's very direct and very apropos to the nine days. And that's why, ladies, I want you to hear this today. Please open your hearts and listen to this. Says the great Reb Chaim Vital. Look at this. Hashem spent an entire parasha. We read the entire matot. And we go back and forth. And they scream out to Moshe, we have so much cattle, we want to stay on this side of the Jordan. Moshe Rabbeinu says, no. He gives them heavy, heavy musar. Says Reb Chaim Vital, all of this is a camouflage to the real story. Today I'm happy it came. Because I want to tell you the story behind the story of the two and a half tribes of Israel. Listen to this. Says Reb Chaim Vital, he heard from his Rebbe, you want to know why these two and a half tribes weren't allowed into Israel regardless? Let's take a good look back. Here it is. 
an amazing moment in Klal Yisrael. Yaakov Avinu runs away from Esav, from the house of his parents, and he comes to the town of Lavan. And there he sees a bunch of shepherds that are all congregating around the well. And on top of the well is this huge rock. And they can't get water yet because they need enough men to be able to roll the rock off the mouth of the well. Now to you, this might sound like really yesterday's news. But I want to tell you something very interesting. Only two months ago, I took my 12th graders to Eretz Israel for a graduation trip. I had to. I was a little slow on my game this year. Generally, by Pesach time, I have about 75 to 80% of the class signed up to go to Eretz Israel to learn the next year. I don't know what happened this year. This year, I didn't even have 12 to 15%. I didn't even have two guys, barely. I said, maybe I'm losing it. Or maybe the guys are getting to be a little bit of a tougher sale. I don't know. But the bottom line is, comes Pesach with a class of 13, 14 boys, and only two is barely signed up to Eretz Yisrael? I wasn't sleeping nights. So for drastic situations, we got to take drastic measures. So I turned to Rabbi Cherba, and I told him, we got to take these guys to Israel. They got to taste it. Because Shemi'ah is not Domeh to Re'iyah. And I've been pitching them, and I've been selling them hardcore. And so far, for some reason, they're not biting. We got to take them. And we took them to Eretz Yisrael. And we took these guys around. We took them to the great Gedolim, Reb Chaim Kanievsky, Reb Steinemann. But at the same time, we took him to the sites. We took him, believe it or not, to Meron, to Tzvat. We threw him in the Mikveh Dari. We took him all around. But there was one day that I want to tell you about, and that was the jeeping in the Midbar Yehuda, right on the outside of the Dead Sea. We went with a tour guide, an old, I would say an old-time yeshiva boy who today is already an older man, I think he's in his late 60s. He went through a few wars. So religiously, he's not so religious anymore, but he was once a yeshiva boy. And this guy was so learned. This guy knew Tanakh verbatim, by heart. Pasuk for pasuk, you, you can ask him anywhere. And he will literally spit out to you Pirakim. Unbelievable what this guy knew. And he knew Gemarot, don't ask, this guy knew everything. He was a tour guide and then some. He was the best friend with all the Bedouins in the desert. Some of them he knew from his days in the war. And many of them he met later on through his tour guide business, his jeeping business. So here we are with this guy, a bunch of guys in the jeep, and we're going through the Midbar Yehuda. And what a breathtaking sight that is. And he stops the jeep right in the middle of the desert, right in the middle of the mountain ray, overlooking the Dead Sea. And I don't know if you know, though, the slopes and the sand dunes. To me, that's one of my most favorite places at Eretz Israel. It makes Arizona look... Uh, okay, anyways. But we get out of the Jeep, and he starts to give us an entire lecture about one thing that without it, you can't survive in the desert. Water. And he started to show us incredible things that although we were looking right at it, we had no idea what we were looking at. He started to show us that there was these broken shards that looked like some sort of a simulation of rock that literally divided certain parts of the desert into different zones. And then he started to teach us how each zone is Shayach to a different Bedouin. And each Bedouin family was in charge over certain parts of the desert. And that was their area, their zone. And therefore the water of that area belongs to them. How did they keep the water from being stolen? How did they stop people from stealing their water? So he showed us two wells. One modern new well and one old time well. Now the first modern new well was basically a hole in the middle of some sort of a rock formation. And then on top of this hole, on the crest on the top of it, there was this metal slab going across the top with a thick iron lock. Now that's a modern day well. If you want any water from this well, you got to go to Grandpa Bedouin, Abu, whatever the guy's name was, 
And then he has to come with the key and you pay a price. And believe me, it's not cheap in the desert. And then from there, a scorpion too, here or there, but you get yourself a bucket of water. Not exactly what you would call Hilton accommodations. But that was one, one well that he showed us. And then he showed us another well. He took us a little bit further out into the desert. And this was something that to me, literally depicted that scene of the moment of Yaakov Avinu walking up to a well. You had to see this. We took pictures. This was a well that was also a rock formation, but on top of the mouth of this formation, there was this huge slab of, it looked like marble. And he told us that it weighed a few tons. And he said the only way to move that slab is if you get a bunch of donkeys to come together Little donkeys, not the people. Bunch of donkeys to come together and wrap ropes around the slab and schlep it and schlep it off just enough to get a pail's worth to be able to drop it into the well and to pull out the water. I couldn't believe it. I said, this is literally what Yaakov Avinu was able to come alone. As the Torah tells us that Yaakov Avinu rolled off the top of the well what some 12, 15 men couldn't move. And that was the moment that he saw Rachel Imenu. That was the moment that he saw the Shekhinah on her face. And he knew that this is going to be not just his wife, but the future of the Imahot of the Jewish people. Now, why am I telling you this? What does this have to do with the two and a half tribes? Oh, wait, you're about to hear now. Says the great Reb Chaim Vital, in the name of his Rebbe the Arizal in the Igeret. He writes that we all know that his father-in-law Lavan the biggest trickster that history has ever seen. And here he switches Rachel for Leah. And the night of the wedding, Yaakov Avinu thinking he's going down the aisle to marry Rachel. And sure enough, Leah is the one behind the veil, under the chuppah with him. And you know what the Midrash says? <laughs> Amazing Chazal. Just as a side point, when Yaakov Avinu was coming up to the chuppah, the entire city knew what Lavan was up to. Everybody knew, everybody, everybody knew that the girl behind that bride is Leah and not Rachel. And they were even trying to hint it, to be Miramez to Yaakov Avinu, that he shouldn't get duped in their eyes. And because of that, they were screaming, He Leah, He Leah, He Leah. And if you say that quick enough, you know what it sounds like? He Leah, that's where it comes from. That is where it comes from. That's where it comes from. That's where it comes from. But Yaakov Avinu, who his head was on Kisei HaKavot, his head was on Kodesh Kodashim. You're talking about Yaakov Avinu, the Bechir HaAvot. His head was not on a face. His head was on the beginning of the starting of the Shivteka. Where do you think his mind was? On Kiddushah B'Tahorah. Yaakov Avinu enters and marries Leah under the chuppah. And that night, he brings Leah back to his tent not knowing. He goes in and he's with her. And that night, Reuven was conceived at a moment that Yaakov was under one impression, but really it was someone else. And because of that, writes from Chaim Vital, the beginnings of Reuven had a little bit of a shemetz of trickery to it. And it wasn't 100% emet. You want to go into Eretz Yisrael? Eretz Yisrael is the land of Hashem. Hashem's stamp, Chotamo Shel Malka, the stamp of God is emet. And therefore, the land of Hashem, the place where Hashem is going to put His presence, the Bet HaMikdash, this is the place of the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah could only rest in a land that is built on complete and absolute emet. Anything less, even a little bit, already vataki ha'aretz, the land will spit you out if you're not 100% emet from the very first moment the get-go until everything of your essence. And because of that, the tribe of Reuven had no place in Eretz Yisrael. Unbelievable. So says the Arizal. Okay, Rabbi, so you showed us Reuven. 
But what, what has to do with God? Listen to this. We all know two parashiot later. Rachel Imenu comes to Yaakov Avinu and she says, Yaakov, havalibanim. Why are you holding children back from me? Please, give me children. So Yaakov Avinu gets very upset. Now, what was she saying? Did she really think that Yaakov was holding children back from her? So Chazal explains that Rachel was worried that Yaakov Avinu had a certain kpeda. He was upset. He had actually something against Rachel because she gave the simanim to Leah. She actually conspired. He thought she was part of the ruse, part of the plan with her father. And she thought that Yaakov Avinu was still upset that she gave the simanim to Leah and allowed to be part of the trickery that ended up giving Leah instead of Rachel to Yaakov Avinu. And therefore, in the Pasuk, she comes and she cries, Yaakov, havalibanim. You know what she's saying? Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. I'm asking Michaela. Let it go. Please, don't hold the kepeda on me. Forgive me for what I did. What I did was l'shem shamayim as not to embarrass my sister in a terrible way. And later on, later on, that which she did is going to be a saving grace for the Jewish people after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. Where it's Rachel Imenu that comes in front of Hashem and says, Hashem, is it possible that the mercy of Basar Vadam could be greater than the mercy of yours, Hashem? I gave away everything not to embarrass my sister. I was ready to be mevater on everything. And Hashem says, you Rachel, I'm going to listen to. Kol berama nishma, Rachel mevaka al baneha. Not Avraham, not Yitzhak v'Yaakov, not Moshe. Who did Hashem listen to after the destruction of Beit HaMikdash? Rachel Imenu, because of what she did. So she saved the Jewish people. But nonetheless, she was asking her husband forgiveness. Havalibani, forgive me. I know it looks like that I turned on you. I know it looks like that I was part of that, that plan to sketch you in a way. And Yaakov Avinu turns around and gets upset. Not that he got upset, thinking that he was or wasn't the one that was holding kids back. No. He got upset. He said to her, Rachel, I know the ways of Hashem. This is the way it was meant to be. Like I just explained. Because one day that's going to be the zikhut for the Jewish people after the destruction of Beit HaMikdash to be promised that v'shavu banim ligvulam that Hashem is going to bring us back with a Mashiach b'karob b'merav yameinu. Aha. So once Rachel heard that, and now she sees that her husband is not upset at her. So what does the next pasu say? Rachel turns to Yaakov and says, Oh, if that's the case, if it's not you that's holding back the children because you might be upset or angry, so that means this is Gzeram and Hashemayim. Gzeram and Hashemayim, I accept. Whatever Hashem does is the best for me. If that's the case, I don't need to cry. If that's the case, take my maidservant Bilha. Let her be in my stead. So she turns to Yaakov Avinu and she offers Yaakov Avinu her shivcha. By the way, I'm going to tell you, Bilha, you might not know this, Bilha was Rachel's sister. But she was a half-sister, I believe they call it. Because she was a sister from a different mother. Not from Rachel's mother, but from a different mother. From a wife that was little less of the Madrega of what the mother of Rachel and Leah was. It was a half-sister. Given to Rachel as a shivha. Although, if you take a good look at the Targum over there in the Unkelis, he translates the word shivcha to be a pilegesh. Pilegesh means a concubine. It means uh, a mistress of some way. It's not just a hadame shivcha, not the way we call shivcha. But rather, this woman was given for a certain marriage role. So now, Rachel turns around to Yaakov and says, if it's not that you have something against me, then this is a from Shamayim, okay, then please, take my shivcha, and what comes out of her will belong to my lot in the Jewish people, as if they're mine, as if they're my tribes. So he gives Yaakov, she gives Yaakov Avinu Bilha. Now, by the way, you want to hear something fascinating? Bilha. 
Do you know that in the name of a woman, there are certain letters that make the childbearing process of having kids easier or sometimes more difficult? The letter He brings children to a woman in an easier fashion. There's actually a pasuk in Avi. He lecha banim. Which is a play on words to say, from the He will come to you children. And because of that, Leah had a He. Bilha had a He. Zilpa had a He. Rivka had a He. Everybody had a He, but Rachel did not. You know who else didn't? Sarai. Sarai Menu. Originally her name was Sarai. And what did, what did Hashem do? He took the Yud at the end of Sarai and he cut it in half. Right? Yud is ten. Ten has two fives in it, two Hays in it. So he cut it in half. He cut the Yud in half. Half he kept for Sarah, and now her name was Sarah, and now she was able to have Yitzchak Avinu after many, many years. And the other half of the Yud he sent out to Yehoshua bin Nun. How does that work? Because there's only five left. It's a good question. They asked that question, but that's not today's class. So, but the bottom line is, Sarai was also without a He, but we had to manufacture a He for her through her Yud. And now she was able to have a child. So Rachel Imenu makes a tremendous, brilliant cheshbon. She says, take a look. I'm having difficulty having kids. And therefore, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take Bilha. Bilha has in her name two He's. One He for her and one He for me. And sure enough, it worked. Bilha is going to be given out to Yaakov Avinu. Bilhah is going to have children with Yaakov Avinu. And sure enough, now Rachel is going to go on to have Yosef. An unbelievable hajbon. However, ladies, wait. Rachel is permission. Rachel asked Yaakov Avinu, is it okay if I give you Bilha?" And Yaakov agreed in your stead, in your place, I'll take her as a third wife. Do you know what the next pasuk says after that? Vatikah Leah et Zilpa. And Leah took Zilpa. Says the Mepharshim, what does that mean? She took her. You know, to take something sounds like physically taking. Where did she take her? It doesn't say that she took her anywhere. Says the Mepharshim, oh, bidvarim. She took her with words. She convinced her. What was there to convince? Zilpa did not want to go to the tent of Yaakov Avinu without permission. But Leah said, wait one second. Rachel, she was able to give her Shivchat Yaakov and merit tribes. So she can give Bilha her Shivcha. Then I could give Zilpah my Shivcha. And if that's the case, says Leah, turning to Zilpah, tonight is my turn. Tonight is my night in the tent of Yaakov. You're going to go in my place as my shivcha. And she did not ask Yaakov Avinu permission. That night, she sent Zilpah in, in her place. Yaakov Avinu, again, being the great Yaakov Avinu, the giant, his head was in Kisea Kavod, Kedusha Tahora. His mind was on making the great shivatim. He did not look at a face. That's not Yaakov Avinu. He was looking at Olamot. And because of that, the next morning, deja vu. Of what took place the night of Leah's wedding is what took place that night of Zilpah again. He wakes up Yaakov Avinu. And instead of finding Leah, he finds Zilpah. And do you know who was conceived that night? God. And says the Arizal, I'll prove it to you. I'll prove to you that what I'm telling you is right on the mark. You ready for this? Because Zilpah gives birth to a baby. And that baby, being that she's the Shivchav Le'ah, Le'ah names the baby. Do you know what the Pasuk says? When Zilpah has a baby, Vatomer Le'ah Bagad. Bagad. Now, at first it sounds like Ba-Gad. God has come. Here he is. We know that. What are you telling? No, 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 no. That's not what the word means. Bagad. 
Bagad is milashom boged, bigida, rebellion. Says Le'ad, this child, I rebelled against my husband. I didn't ask him permission. I sent Zilpah in that night, on the night that I was supposed to be. Only the next morning he's to find out who it was, just like what happened with Le'ah, the night of her wedding. This biggie does, this baby, this is God. And therefore, says the Ari, take a look. The beginnings of God was also lacking a little bit of a emet, a little bit of somewhat of a trick to it in a certain way. Now, ladies, I'll be honest with you. The way we're talking here, I'm playing with fire. And I'm, I'm not even allowing myself to talk this way. And I'm going to take out a good two minutes now to say clearly without any shadow of the doubt, we cannot humanize the Avot HaKdoshim or the Imahot HaKdoshot. They are Kedoshe Elyon. And we're speaking about them like uh, Heke. We're speaking very comfortable about them like... Uh, we can't do justice, Bichlal, to even begin to understand their genius, their brilliance, and their cheshbonot l'shem shamayim. And everything we're talking about here is extremely, on a very light and a very superficial level. It's much deeper. But we're just saying over the words of the Arizal to try to be able to bring home a powerful nine days message at the end when we understand the final piece of this puzzle. But keep with the puzzle with me. Don't take this lightly, but at the same time, follow. So that was Reuven, who conceived from a night that Yaakov Avinu was thinking it was someone. It was Rachel. And that was God, Bagad, Boged, that again came from a night thinking that it was Le'ah, Zilpa. Such a beginning, Eretz Yisrael cannot stomach. This is the land of Emet. This is Hashem's land. This is the land of the king that his signature is, Chotamosha Makkah is Emet. And if you're not 100% Emet from the first second of existence of such great people, of course, on their level, then the land spits you out and you have no chelik in Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, these two tribes, they weren't going into Eretz Yisrael regardless. Okay, Rabbi, so you showed me Reuven and God, but what does the Arizal say about Chatzi? Remember, Chatzi, that's going to be a tough one. Chatzi Shevet Menashe. We got half a Shevet that's not being allowed into Israel. Now, where would that come from? Oh, what a brilliant Cheshbon, says the Ari, through his Talmud, Reb Chaim Vital. Says the Ari, we all remember that only a few parashiot after that she was called the Yatsanit, that she went out. She went out to explore the city of Shechem, and she walked into trouble. On a very light level, there are tremendous depths to what she was looking for in Shechem. She was looking to be doing a tremendous tikkun in Shechem. She was looking for the neshama of great people that were hidden in Shechem, but that's not today's class. Simply put, she went into Shechem and she met Shechem ben Chamon, who later on took her by force and pained her terribly. And after that, she conceived with a child. And she had a daughter, and the name of the girl was Osnat. Milashon Ason. Ason means to rape. Osnat, this was the daughter that came out from this union. The brothers of Dina were so disgusted by the happenings of what took place to their pure, pure sister. Matter of fact, we all know the story of Shimon the Levi that went into the town, Hachzona, Achoti. They went into the town and they wiped out the place. We will not allow such an abomination to breach the purity of the daughters of Israel, which is the reason why the whole story of Dina has a lot to do with the story of Hanukkah, because it was all about breaching purity, not just the oil, but the daughters of Israel as well, like the famous story of Yehudit. But a baby was born, and it was a little girl, Osnat. Yaakov Avinu So says the Zohar HaKadosh 
that the brothers wanted to kill this baby because the baby kind of reminded them of a certain stain on the family's reputation. So Yaakov Avinu went and he took a kamea and he put it around the neck of the baby and he sent the baby off. And the baby, don't ask me how, but the baby ended up on the doorstep in Egypt from no one less than who? Eshet Potiphar. That's where the stork dropped this baby from all addresses. He drops it on the front doorstep of, of Eshet Potiphar. Look at the genius behind Hashem's ways. Because there's going to be a Yosef at Sadiq one day. Who's going to be sold by his brothers? Who's going to be sent down to Egypt to be able to open the doors to the future Galut Mitzrayim, of course. But first there's going to be Yosef, that's going to be a Mishnele Melech, that's going to fulfill the dreams that he had. And he's going to literally be from the superpower of the entire world. And which house does Yosef brought down to? The house of Eshet Potiphar. Could you imagine? Here you have it, Yosef. He's the only Jewish boy in the country. Wouldn't you throw in the towel? Talking about people that have hard times with Shiduchim. Well, you think Yosef had it easy? He was the only Jewish guy in the country. There wasn't a Jewish girl to be found for hundreds of miles. And not just that, he was a slave. He can't pick up and leave. And Mitzrayim was like the Roach Motel. They go in, but they don't come out. So he's done. There's nowhere to go. You're in, a, you're in your own country-made prison. Who's he going to marry? He's going to marry a, a Goya, Egyptian girl. Hasvi Shalom, you're talking about Yosef at Sadiq. He's the Yisod. The Yisod of Kiddushah. Who's he going to marry? Hashem says, would you leave it up to me already? Don't you know what emunah means? Emunah means that Hashem is taking care of all your problems. Give it up to Him. You're not in control. He's in control. All He wants you to do is believe that He's taking care of you and you're relying on that, that He's taking care of you. And your job is to do one thing. Say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're taking care of me. You're taking care of my problems. You're taking care of my issues. It's not this person. It's not that person. It's not this hookup. It's not that lawyer. It's not this protexia. It's not my best friend in the back office. No. None of those people can do anything for you. When we absolutely believe that Hashem is the only one that's taking care of us, and He's taking care of all our problems, He's taking care of all our issues, Hashem says, watch what I'm going to show you, what I'm going to do for you. Just for believing in that, just for relying on me, I won't let you down. But I want to see that you really believe it's me and no one else is Hashem. That Hashem is in control. Nobody else can do a thing for you. No one can give you nor take away from you anything. It's kol kulo from the hashgacha pratit of Hashem. All He wants is one thing. To be mekir tov. To have gratitude and say day and night, modima nachnulach, modima nachnulach, mode anilfanecha, mode, modim, mode, modim, 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 thank you, thank you. This is what he wants. He wants thanks. That we shouldn't be a kafuitov. Yosef Sadiq had such emuna that he didn't doubt for a second. And Hashem didn't have a plan for his zivug, in spite of the fact that it was against. He had, a, he had better odds at winning the lottery than finding a zivug, proper zivug in Egypt. And yet, you want to hear the funny part? The ironic irony. She was right there in the same house, under his nose, growing up alongside of him. I mean, my gosh. And then sure enough, what does the pasuk say? Ben Porat Yosef. What does Rashi say? Benot means many girls. Tsaada is singular, is one girl. Rashi says, make up your mind. Is it Benot or is it Tsaada? Which one is it? No, no. Many girls. There were many girls looking at Yosef. And they used to throw their jewelry on him just to get his attention, that he should turn and look at them. 
And although many threw the jewelry on him, only Tsa'ada, only one captured him. Because Osnat took off the Kemea as her only jewelry that was given to her by Yaakov Avinu, and she threw that necklace onto Yosef. And Yosef catches a Magen David in Egypt. Can you imagine? Downtown Manhattan on Fifth, on, on Fifth Avenue, and he catches a Magen David in the heart of the Tumah of the capital of the world. And he says, Shoo! <laughs> well, he would have said that. He says, hey, well, What is this? Whose is this? In Egypt? And sure enough, there's a phone number on the back. No, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. But, but he looked at him and Who's this? And sure enough, this belonged to Osnat. He asked Osnat, How did you get this? This is from my father. And she says, yeah, you're my uncle. I think, right, doesn't that work out? Dina, Osnat, Yosef, brother and sister from two different mothers, half brother, half sister. Yes, correct. I believe so. I believe he was her uncle or second cousin, one way or the other. I'm not sure, not good at this stuff. But anyways, but they were related enough to marry. And here's his kala. So now Yosef at Sadiq says the Arizal goes and marries Osnat, Mazal Tov. Osnat was made up of two people. She was made up of Dina, Kodesh Kodashim, but she, she was also made up of Shechem. Shechem ben Chamor HaChivi. Chivi is the Lashon in Aramaic of a snake. Snake. He came from the power of Tumah. So here I have a baby Osnat that is half Shechem, half Dina. That's Osnat. Now Osnat marries Yosef and they have a child, Menashe. Says the Arizal. Menashe got from his mother the half of Shechem. And the other half he got from his father, Yosef. And therefore, Menashe was made up of half Yosef, half Shechem. That's why half of Menashe, which was built on the Chivi, the Koach of Sheker, was not allowed into Eretz Yisrael, the land of Emmet. Wow, 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 wow. However, Ephraim, the next child, Ephraim got from his mother Osnat the half of Dina. And then he got the other half from his father Yosef. And therefore Ephraim was kol kulo, perfect. And that's why Ephraim sat down and learned Torah all day with Yaakov Avinu. And Menashe learned Torah half a day. And the other half a day he was in the kingdom helping his father with all the diplomacies of running a country. And that's why when it came time to the moment of truth, when Yaakov Avinu was giving the Birachot to Ephraim and Menashe, what did he do? Sikel Yadav. He switched his hands, putting his better right hand on Ephraim the younger and his left hand weaker on the older Menashe. And Yosef Atzadik said, Abba, you got it wrong. What are you doing? He said, Yaakov Avinu, no, 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 no. Yadati beni yadati. I know exactly what's going on. I know exactly what's going on. This one, Ephraim, is Kulotov. The other one has a little Shemetz of Shem in him. Because of that, half of his makeup is Shem. Half of his tribe is not going to be allowed into Israel. And because of that, his hands were switched. And the better blessing was given to Ephraim over than Menashe. And this is the explanation how brilliant and wondrous it is, obviously, with a little paraphrasing by the speaker here and there. But this was more <laughs> the, the explanation of the Arizal of why these two and a half tribes were not allowed into Eretz Yisrael. Reuven, God, and Chatzis Shevimash. Because if you want to go to Eretz Yisrael, you got to go with truth. And you know what, ladies, you know what this teaches us? Something, I, to me, I get a chill down my back. I think about this. such an eye-opener. That of a person is literally from the get-go influenced by their makeup on every step in life. And when we look for truth, we look at it from this first second, from the first moment, even that counts. When a husband and a wife is together, even the thoughts at those moments already stop playing a role in the child that one day is going to come out from the zivug. How powerful that first moment of beginnings play a role. And take a look over here by Reuven and Gad. 
I think this is, this is something that's beyond. And you might say to me, but you know, why is it their fault? And what did Ruven do? What did God do? It's not their fault. Adraba. And because it's not their fault, that leads me to this big point that I want to tell you now. That's why, although the Torah is the most expensive real estate in the world, and we don't waste not even a letter, let alone a pasuk, Hashem spent an entire parasha telling us a story about cattle just to cover up the real story because it wasn't their fault. And this is, believe it or not, this is what was bothering the Chida. The great Chida, Maran Chida. The Chida asks the question because he knew this Arizal. And the Chida says, I don't get it. What do we need this whole parasha matot? They come to Moshe. We have a lot of sheep. We want to stay here on the Jordan. Moshe starts giving them Musar. He starts making Tanaim conditions with them. All the laws, by the way, of conditions. It's called Tznai Kaful. It's learnt out from this story. It's actually referred to as Tznai Bnei Gad Uven. Who needs all that? Honey, the bottom line. When they came to Moshe and said, Moshe, we want to stay here on this side of the Jordan because of uh, our cattle and this and that. You know what Moshe should have told them? Guys, <laughs> my friends, you better be comfortable on this side of the Jordan because you ain't going into Eretz Yisrael. Say it straight. What do I need this? Who? Moshe gives him Musar and back and forth and he yells at them and he makes them promise with a tznai. Who needs that? They're not going in anyways. Answers the Chida, our message for the nine days. Says the Chida, this is the message. Hashem spent an entire parasha telling you a camouflage story just to cover up the real story as not to embarrass the tribes of Reuven, Gad, and Chatzim and Asher. It wasn't their fault. Therefore, don't embarrass them. And even when it is their fault, don't embarrass another Jew. And Hashem wouldn't waste a letter in the Torah, a pasuk in the Torah. But He spent the whole parasha because He wanted to send us a message. Says the Chita, this is why parashat matot is always read before the nine days. Because the parasha is a message to the Jewish people. Look how Hashem covered the embarrassment of two and a half tribes of Israel. Now you're going into the nine days? You know how you got into the nine days? Because of Sinat Hinam. You know the story of Kamsa Bar Kamsa? Was it his fault? The letter went to the wrong name on a different address. He comes into the wedding of someone who he was once an enemy, thinking that maybe this was the makeup. His enemy, the father of the girl, sees his enemy, Barkamsa, sitting there. What are you doing here? What do you mean you invited me? I didn't invite you. What are you joking? Get out. No, 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 please don't embarrass me. I'll pay for my plate. What? Get out! No, 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 please, I'm begging you. Don't embarrass me in front of the rabbis. Don't embarrass me in front of the entire Klal Israel. Don't throw me out. I'll pay for half the wedding. He says to him, I don't need your money. I don't want nothing from you. Just get out. He begs him. He pleads with him. I'll pay for the whole wedding. The whole wedding. Nothing doing. Get out. He picks him up by his lapels and he throws him out. Where did he go, Barkamsa? From the wedding hall, you know, where he went beeline, straight? He went straight to Rome and he wasn't on vacation either. He went to the Caesar and he told the Caesar how much the Jews hate him and that was the beginning of the end of the destruction of the second and final Bet Amikdash. Because we embarrassed a Jew. Says the Chida, Hashem wants you to read Parashat Matot every year before the nine days to remind you, look at the way Hashem covered up the embarrassment of Jews. If you wouldn't have embarrassed this one guy, maybe the Bet HaMikdash would not have been destroyed. The first Bet HaMikdash, three cardinal sins, murder, Avodah Giloy Arayot, 70 years, and it was all fixed. 70 years. 
and it was rebuilt. The three cardinal sins here, that we can fix in 70 years. But sinat hinam, the story of kamsa bar kamsa, the embarrassing of other Jews, the hurting of the feelings of the emotions of another Jew that Hashem takes so kivyachol to heart. No, we're almost now 2,000 years later and we still didn't get it right. And that's why they say, you know, matot and maseh, we read together. Matot is bayit sheni, destruction of the second Bet Amikdash. Maseh is bayit rishon. Says the chida, wait one second, shouldn't have been the other way? Matot should be bayit rishon and maseh should be bayit sheni. I mean, that, what's going to order? He says, no. Maseh is a lighter parasha because bayit rishon was a lighter message. That we fixed in 70 years. That the Jew doesn't have to hear first and foremost. We need him to hear Matot first because that's what you got to hear in 2,000 years of Galut. How Hashem kept the camouflage and told the whole story just to cover up the embarrassment of two and a half tribes. And that's right. Let the Jewish people think that Reuven and God volunteered to stay there. Let them think it was about cattle and pasture so that when they don't end up going into Israel, no one will look back over their shoulders and say, hey... What was wrong with those tribes? How come they didn't come in with us? Ah, there's a common denominator between those tribes. There's something wrong about their lineage. Wait, let's go back and connect the dot. No, 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 says Bode Olam. No, absolutely not. I'm going to have them come to Moshe. They're going to scream about sheep. And Moshe is going to give them fire musar. And then the people are going to be like, easy, Moshe, go easy on them. All they did was ask to stay because of their cattle. Oh, they made a heavy-duty Tanai condition with them. Oh, that's why Moshe let them stay on the other side of the Jordan. And now we save the Bushah of many good Jews. The tribes of Reuven, God, and Chatzir Shebe Menashe. That's the way Hashem wants us to act with Jews. Regardless if you know the issues or not, we keep our mouth shut. Adarabah. We go out and we actually become an advocate to cover up those embarrassing moments of people, never to be mevayesh another Jew. Anyone that's mevayesh another Jew, berabim, it's as if you killed them. It's literally murder. And all it takes is one sharp word, one little line. And even if it isn't a major embarrassment, even if it's a cute little shtach, they say, in the ribs, and it hurts the person for a second, already Shamayim is upset. What are you hurting your brother? What are you hurting your sister? Why can't we get our act together? Why is, the, why is this concept still around 2,000 years later? Read Parashat Matot, says Hashem. Look what I did. And now I want you to follow suit in the nine days. This is the great nine days message. The message of Parashat Matot. How we're so careful never to embarrass another Jew. And now we're working on the Sinat Chinam to bring it to Ahava. I just want to end off and tell you. You might have heard this story from me in the past. I just don't have a better one for this message. So sometimes you got to go with the goods that you have in order to bring home the point hard enough for the nine days. I want to remind you of that 11th grade in Yeshiva Farakwe. And there was a classmate, a boy, who was diagnosed with cancer. Such a young, young, innocent, sweet age. And here's a boy now who's going through treatments, he's going through chemotherapy, and he's going through radiation. And after Kama Vekama treatments, finally the doctors feel that he's going to be okay. But the boys in his class heard that although he already came home from the hospital, he's not coming back to school. Why not? We love the guy. He's one of our classmates. One of the boys is one of our classmates. They found out that he's too embarrassed. Because through the chemotherapy and the radiation, he lost all his hair. And they tried to put him on wigs, and it just didn't fly. And the baseball cap didn't work. And the boy was so self-conscious that he just couldn't bear to think of showing his face in school again. He just couldn't bear it. He was going to stay home for the rest of the year out of the busha that he was contemplating if he steps into school. And the kids in his class found out about this. Open your hearts. And listen to what they did. Says the Rebbe of the 11th grade in Yeshiva Farak. The next morning, he comes walking into the classroom and sitting in front of him is 27 
bald heads. You believe that? And now nobody knows who's the boy in the class that's sick and who's the boy in the class that's healthy. That's Parshat Matot. That's what it means. These are the stories that Bore Olam was waiting for in the nine days. This is the way that we fix a Sinat Hinam. This is the way that we bring a love back to Klal Israel. That, yeah, your problems are my problems. We finally break out of that ridiculous American fantasy that I have to outdo everybody else. And I have to one-up everyone else. And it's all about me. And the world ends at the end of the tip of my nose. No, that's not the way we are as a people. That's not the way it was in the old country, that's for sure. Everybody was family. We might not have been as wealthy. We might not have been as flamboyant. But boy, were we so much more together. And now we came here. Yes, wonderful, the wealth we have. But we paid a big price. Paid a big price. Now it's constant competitions. I'll do this and I'll do that. Says Borelam, who are you competing? With the one that you're supposed to be helping? With the one you're supposed to be loving? With the one you're supposed to be raising up? You need a few boys every now and then to come along. And their simplicity of innocence. <laughs> and give away, at their age, their most treasured commodity. They're here. Believe it or not, boys take two things very seriously. They're here. And they're sneakers. At least in my days, when I had hair and sneakers were a big thing. Today, it's more like they're hair in their phone. It's a different story today, but it's similar. Similar. And they were ready to give all that away just so another kid in his class won't be embarrassed. Says Borei Olam, read Pashat Matot before the nine days every year. Look how I wrote a parasha in length just to cover up the embarrassment of two and a half tribes. Now you go out there and you cover up the embarrassment of 12 tribes. So that at the end of the nine days, tremendous day Tisha B'Av coming at us. Mesugal for the giving birth of Mashiach and the coming of Mashiach. We should be zocheh to hear the coming of Mashiach. Bikarov. Amen.